Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode, I don't know what episode, I mean, we've been doing this for a while now, so I don't know if we really have numbers. I'm going to say episode, take a guess here, episode 92. Let's just say this is episode 92 of the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I'm probably way off. I, I don't know if I've done more or less than that. I've definitely done more than a year's worth. So like 50, how many, year, how many weeks are in a year? 56, 54, something like that in the mid 50s or whatever it is. Uh, I've done more than a year's worth, obviously, of these podcasts. So it's more than that. But I have no idea after that how many I've done. I would say, I would say we're close to about ninety something. I, I, that's what I would say. I don't know. Uh, but welcome to blank number ep- episode blank. Uh, no idea. Um, it's October tenth, twenty twenty three. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, uh, hosted by yours truly, James Timberlake. Uh, if you're new to the program. Thank you guys. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for listening. I greatly appreciate that. You know, I know it's hard to, to, uh, to get a new podcast into your, uh, into your playlist of podcasts, if you will. And if this is new, a new podcast for you, I appreciate you for just jumping in and trying it out. I really appreciate that. So, um, if you are new or if you're, you know, a, a reoccurring listener, please remember to, uh, uh, that you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So and on any of the popular podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, you name it, it is there. Uh, please, if you're listening to it on those podcasting platforms, even if you're not listening to it on those podcasting platforms, go to those podcasting platforms. Uh, leave a five-star rating if you don't mind. Follow the show on those podcasting platforms. Uh, it really helps the show drive up the numbers. You know, we all care about the numbers. You know, we got to get those... Uh, Listening numbers up, the following numbers up. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, and also shout out to Alpine Climate Control, Jack and Kathleen Wood from 307 Real Estate for sponsoring the show as well. We're going to talk about pretty heavy football again this week, I'll be honest with you. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the playoff action that I have seen uh, today uh, towards the end of the show. Um, but it is going to be heavy football again today because, of course, it's October. We're talking football. I mean, what else is there to talk about? You know what I mean? Uh, hockey, I know, is starting. But again, I apologize to all my listeners out there i'm not well versed in the hockey uh area just in general i'm not very well versed in hockey uh the nhl in general like i just don't know a lot about it so i don't want to come on here and just act like i know a lot about it um when i don't you know i don't i don't know a whole lot about hockey but i know it's starting again it's good to see espn really leaning into more hockey i appreciate that because i do believe that there is a pretty large contingent of people that do enjoy hockey in this country um and when espn kind of just ditched the entire I guess, model of hockey of covering NHL um, or showing NHL games. I think the product really did not the product itself, but the viewership of the product, I I think did take a hit. Um, But it is cool that they're, you know, really trying to focus more on hockey as well. It's just, I I appreciate that. I don't have anything against hockey. I think it's cool. It's just not, um, you know, it's not something that I've ever really uh, dealt into, I guess, you know, nothing against it. It's just not something that I've, uh, jumped into it's hard for me to find and enjoy a game uh, a sport if i don't have a favorite team or something you know um and i've never had a favorite team uh, in hockey or a favorite player or anything like that so you know that's starting which is cool um but i don't if you're coming here expecting a whole lot of hockey coverage don't expect that all right you're 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 putting your expectations in the incorrect area all right i watch a lot of football watch a lot of ba- i watch a lot of baseball and I watch basketball, all right? That's kind of my big three, if you will. I watch some soccer here and there as well, especially the bigger stuff. World Cup comes around, I'll tune into some soccer. Champions League comes around, I'll tune into some soccer. Uh, but for the most part, it's the big three. You know, uh, F1 is another one. I, I, I love watching F1. A little bit less so this year because uh, it's been so much of a Max Verstappen show and Red Bull show that it's kind of just been, you know, who's coming 
second through 10th at this point, which not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, uh, anyways, that those are my bona fides, if you will. But I'm just saying, if you're in, if you're tuning in for hockey, I apologize. I won't cover too much hockey just because I'm not as well versed in, uh, that particular sport as other people. I might bring somebody on that knows more about hockey than I do. That's a possibility. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to say no to that by any means. Um, but if you're looking for hockey information from me, I would say this is the wrong place to do it. Um, okay, let's talk some football. Um, I want to start with the, it probably wasn't the story of the weekend. There was one other college football game that really, I think stole the show, stole the conversation of the weekend. Um, and it happened at the very end, no pun intended, of the night. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But this one, early morning, all the way up until the late afternoon, early evening, was the talk of the town. And that was the Red River Shootout, man. That game, there's really nothing like that game. I, I That is the prime reason, that game in particular, uh, you know, not the specific game that happened on Saturday, but that Entire rivalry is one of the reasons that I adore college football. It's a game that takes place in a neutral location. Um, other than the London games, you won't see that very often in the NFL, if ever, if ever, and then in the Super Bowl, obviously. Um, but it really is the prime version, in my opinion, and the the uh, the number one version of what rivalry games should look like in college football in terms of um, you know how they should be held, what is going on around them. And really the pageantry that's held around rivalry games in college football, because I think it's perfectly done. I, I don't think there is a way that you can improve that game in terms of everything that is happening around it. I think they have the perfect place to do it at the Cotton Bowl. I think it's uh, riddled in history in, in between those two teams at that at the Cotton Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. Like, it's not a good play. Like, let me be completely from everything. I've never been to the Cotton Bowl, but from everything that I understand from people that have gone, it is not a very pretty stadium. Like, it is not a good looking stadium. Not a lot of the amenities are there or anything like that. Like, it's not a uh, gem that you should have to go visit because it's a gem of a stadium, you know, like uh, uh, Jerry's World, I don't know, AT&T Stadium uh, or that sort of thing, just right down the road, essentially from the Cotton Bowl, which is another thing, like they wanted to move that Cotton that uh, Oklahoma, Texas game to Jerry's World to AT&T Stadium um, for a little bit there when they first built that stadium. But and they moved the actual Cotton Bowl, like the actual bowl game that used to be held at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, to Jerry's World at AT&T Stadium, but they have not moved the rivalry game, and I really appreciate that because I think that is a very, it is, and they probably eventually will move it, but right now it is just etched in tons of history between those two programs, um, and I don't know a lot of the other stuff that the Cotton Bowl even does anymore. Like, I don't know what that stadium is even used for outside. Like, they, I think they've done... Um, one of the winter classics for NHL there. Um, one time, I think they hold like um, a couple of uh, non NFL team uh, teams play there sometimes. And it's like a, or not in, in non NCAA division one teams will sometimes play against one another, one another there as well. I think they hold some high school games there as well. But other than that, it's not like a team goes in there and plays there every weekend, you know? Um, and I think they hold some concerts there and stuff like that. But it's basically built um, up to uh, at this point now. It's basically a stadium that is held for that game. Like there's nothing else that really matters uh, in that stadium as at least doesn't matter as much as that game in particular between Oklahoma and Texas. And it always, for the most part, I mean, last year was kind of a disaster. They got Oklahoma got blown out in that game is 49 to nothing. Um, but I think for the most part, that game almost always 
has its moments that it lives up to the hype. And I love watching that game so much. It's, it happens at the same time every year. I love that it happens early in the season as well. And it's been made even better with the fact that it happens early in the year with the playoff format that we have now because and the Big 12 conference format that they have there as well. Um, because both of those teams should probably meet each other again in the Big 12 championship game if all goes according to plan, essentially, um, because those teams are the cream of the crop in the Big 12 right now. And um, if it continues on the path that it is, those teams should play again in the Big 12 championship game. And that only makes the Cotton Bowl game, or the, the Red River shootout game even better because then you have you're basically creating a storyline heading into the Big 12 championship if they both reach it. Um, and it just makes it a more fun and um, more storyline driven game uh, after that. It creates more uh, more storylines after that heading into uh, one of those bigger games like the Big 12 championship. And I just think a lot of like the, the, the bowl that is split right down the middle between Oklahoma fans and Texas fans. The Texas State Fair is happening for the next month right outside. Essentially, it doesn't end until like the 21st or whatever, but they're there and it's never bigger than it is right there uh, during that game, obviously. Um and, 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 you know, there's tons of just weird stuff that happens in that game. And rivalry games usually kind of have this uh, something like this that happens. Usually, I would say a lot of the bigger rivalry games where weird stuff just happens, you know, like because it's a rivalry game and there's everybody seems to be on their, you know, most attuned in terms of their skill set or whatever or are focused or what have you. Um, and something just weird always ends up happening. And that's just kind of. The, the the typical thing that happens in that game as well, the Red River Shootout always has these weird moments that you're like, you don't see that in like any other game, you know, like the perfect example, the Roy Williams Superman play that I like Roy Williams doing that. That doesn't happen in any other game, you know, like nobody ever thinks of doing that unless it's against a heated rival that you're trying to get a desperate stop against and you jump over an offensive lineman. I guess it was a running back at that point to. Uh, tackle Chris Sims and sack him in the end zone to cause a safety, which ended up being a, a, a touchdown because he was throwing the football and it was intercepted by Teddy Lehman. Um, but yeah, there, there's just moments like that. And it feels like it happens every single year between those two teams where there's just something weird that happens or something that doesn't typically happen in a football game that happens in that game. Uh, and you know, and I love it. I love that game so much. Um, and you could kind of feel the energy in that stadium just throughout. It doesn't matter what's in, even though this year it really had a lot of stakes attached to it doesn't matter really where they're playing um, or where they're at in the season up to that point. That game always matters, which is something that I absolutely adore about um, college football rivalries. It uh, doesn't matter where they are or where they're at in their season in terms of record or anything like that. There are games in the schedule. You could be 0-10 and going into a game against Texas, if you're Oklahoma or Oklahoma, if you're Texas, um, going into that game, it will matter whether you win or lose, or if you're 10 and 0 going into the game and you lose to Texas, that is a very disappointing loss and doesn't matter who else you lost to because you lost to Texas. Or if you won out, you lost to Texas. That's it's not, a, it's not a, you know, a, a huge, it's not, if you're 10 and 0 or whatever, it's not like it's a, a hugely demeaning loss or anything like that. If you go on to win the national championship, it's not the end of the world, obviously, but you would have loved to have gone, you know, 11 and 0 having beat Texas on the schedule. And that, that goes for every rivalry game in college football, Michigan, Ohio state. They love to beat each other. Uh, Auburn, Alabama. They love to beat each other. Florida, Florida state. They love to beat each other. Florida, Georgia. They love to beat each other. I mean, you name it. Uh, there are plenty of those games throughout college football, which is why I think college football has this just beautiful kind of, I don't know, um, 
aura around it, if you will. And, you know, the, the conference realignment stuff is going to affect, I think, a lot of that. Thankfully, Oklahoma, Texas are both going to the SEC, so that game isn't going to end anytime soon. Um, but, you know, you are losing out on Bedlam, which is Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. That's a big loss as well. Those teams have been playing each other for 100-plus years, and now it's just going to stop, similar to what happened when Texas A&M left for the SEC. That was probably 10 years ago or so, probably more now. Um, but they stopped playing Texas at that point, and that was also a huge rivalry. Um, so conference realignment is, is something that could really affect um, those classic fun to watch rivalry games, unless they're between big schools and they're kind of interconnected in that way. Like Texas, Oklahoma, I think I didn't think there was going to be any scenario in which one team leaves and the other stays. Um, I think they're kind of interconnected in that sense where whichever one goes, the other has to kind of follow. Um, and the same goes for like Michigan, Ohio state, even though they're not going to leave the big 10, but it's a similar situation. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's interesting to see conference realignment kind of affect that. And you're seeing it also in the PAC 12, especially in the PAC 12, uh, Washington state versus Washington is going to, this is going to be a final appearance, I believe, because Washington state's still technically in the PAC 12, uh, and they have yet to find a suitor for them if they're looking to move into a different conference. And if they don't figure that out, Washington's moving to the Big Ten, if I remember correctly, and that game could cease to exist. Oregon versus Oregon State's another one, um, which is a, a big game that could just cease to exist because Oregon State's still in the Pac-12, and Oregon's moving to the Pac-10. Just games like that we're going to miss out on, uh, and that's going to be very disappointing. But then again, I will say, like in the in the conference realignment, we're going to have to be able to craft these new rivalries that are coming out of it, you know? For some reason, USC becomes a big rival to, I'm trying to think of a good non-mediocre school in the Big Ten that isn't, that isn't Michigan versus, or Ohio State. Um, wow. And I'm not trying to hurt, I'm not trying to make fun of the Big Ten, but there's not very many good teams. USC versus Wisconsin just randomly becomes a rivalry for no reason. Like that could just be something that happens. And that's, you know, out of not out of the realm of possibilities. Oklahoma for versus Texas, other than the fact that they're neighbors, like there's not really other, and they've played each other for years and years and years and years. But I'm just saying this could be the beginning of a new set of rivalries that we never like even conceived of an idea of, you know, becoming rivalries, but who knows? Who knows what happens with conference realignment? We are losing some classic rivalries, unfortunately, but that only paves the road for, I think, um, new rivalries that could become legendary in themselves, um, especially with how much football kind of can craft that stuff by itself just in the fact of it being football. And I think that just the Red River shootout reminds me, um, that game especially just reminded me of how much I adore um just the entire idea of college football rivalries and the, the pageantry behind every single one of them, especially the neutral site games. Um, but the pageantry behind every single one of them and just, uh, you know, every version of each other's teams hates one another, like whether it be the band or, you know, the animals hate one another, you know, uh, Bevo, the, the longhorn and the, the horses boomer and sooner hate each other, you know? Um, and that's the great stuff about, that's the great, that's the great, great stuff about college football are those rivalry games that just for some reason, because one team doesn't like the other or because, um, you know, one fan base doesn't like the other. They just hate one another. You know, they just hate one another. And that's just how it is. Even though they could meet each other on the street, not where on any other, in any other place in the world. Um, not being the cotton bowl on the first Saturday of October, they could see each other out in the world and they could be best friends. But when it comes to Saturday, the first Saturday of October at the cotton bowl, I despise you or they despise you. I despise you. That's just how it works. And that is 
the great, great um, epitome of rivalries in college football. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that's like likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. Okay, let's move on. We're going to talk some other college football. The game itself, also, really quickly, the the Red River shootout itself also was an amazing game. Like, that was a ton of fun to watch. I'm an Oklahoma fan, so I'm a little bit biased, uh, but that was the greatest game of all time. No, uh, But, yeah, it felt it felt good. Uh, that was, a, again, a game that they got blown out 49 to nothing last year. I barely watched the game last year because I was like, this is going to be a bloodbath. Um, and this year, just total revenge story, and it was a blast to watch. Oklahoma has an actual defense now, which... I haven't seen one of those as an Oklahoma fan probably about 10 years. It feels great. It's awesome. Um, So, yeah, let's move on. Some other college football news and notes. That game, the shootout, was probably the Red River shootout, was probably the story of the weekend uh, up until about 7 p.m. our time, maybe a little bit later than that, 8 p.m., whatever it is, uh, 8 p.m. our time on Saturday as well because then Miami, in all of their Miami ways, they just kind of, they got to, they got to take the spotlight. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to win this football game against Georgia Tech. We're going to lose it in one of the dumbest ways possible. And that's what they did. That's exactly what they did. They were in a slugfest, if you will, love a good slugfest, love a good slugfest in college football. Um, they were in a slugfest, defensive slugfest against Georgia Tech on Saturday. Conference matchup. It was Miami's first conference game of the season. This was their uh, Georgia Tech's third conference game of the season. So uh, Miami entering with a chance to open their conference schedule with a W and they were well on their way. They were going to win that football game. Uh, and then inexplicably there. So they're up 20, 17 to 14, uh, excuse me, 17 to 14. That is incorrect. 20 to 17. They're up 20 to 17 uh, and was uh, with less than a minute to play in this game. Uh, and the Miami has the football. Georgia Tech's got no timeouts, zero timeouts left. So I'm going to play this. I'm going to overplay. I'm going to play this over in your mind. What if you, if by somehow you had, you don't know what happens here, then, uh, prepare to be shocked. Um, so less than a minute and a half to go in this game and Georgia Tech doesn't have any timeouts. I mean, the game is over. Miami has the football. Georgia Tech doesn't have any timeouts. They're not backed up. Uh, Miami is not backed up to uh, their goal line or anything like that. They don't need to be running the football. They can just kneel the football out, and the game is over. Um, and then they start to run the ball. 
they start to run the ball. Everybody, even Tim Hasselbeck, who was the color guy for the the uh, ACC network, who was covering the game, and he was like, "Why are they running the football? Like, what's going on here? What's uh, why are they doing that?" So they could they run the football. Uh, I, th- I believe it was Janie, David Cheney who got the first couple of carries. They gets to you know nothing. Nothing bad happens. They get a couple of yardage, and the clock continues to run. Georgia Georgia Tech can't stop it, obviously. Uh, and then on what was it on third down? And it was Donald Cheney, by the way, not uh, not Devin Cheney. I mixed his name with the boxer Devin Haney. I'm. Uh, it's been a long week. Uh, so Donald Haney is getting the carries, um, and he's doing a good job so far. You know, securing the football, nothing, no problems. And again, they should be kneeling the football here. It, it, there's less than uh, it was a minute and a half when they ran that first. When they ran less than a minute and a half to go when they ran that uh, first play. Georgia Tech doesn't have any timeouts. They don't have any. They cannot stop the clock for any reason. Miami's running the football. They should be kneeling the football. No reason for them to be running the football. Um, and with less than, with 33 seconds left of the game, it's a third down. I cannot stress this enough. 33 seconds left in the game. 30, I can't, I, I keep repeating it because it's still baffling to me. 33 seconds left. There is a 40 second play clock. And on this third and 10 uh, run, if they were to kneel the football uh, with the 40 second play clock and the game clock going, they were to kneel the football, it would have been fourth down and 32 seconds left with the play clock starting at 40 seconds. The game would have been over. Like they would have been shaking hands. There was nothing that they, they didn't have to run a play on fourth down, anything like that. The game would have been over. For some reason, Mario Cristobal and the offense of Miami thought they would run the ball again. I don't know why. I don't understand it. It's something that is very interesting. Miami has not run the football all se- uh has not kneeled the football, excuse me, all season long. Literally have not run, kneeled the football the entire season. Uh in and all of the other blowout wins that they've had so far this year, they haven't kneeled the ball to end the game. And they continue it here in this one. They are just trying to run the game clock out uh by running the actual football, not kneeling. They're running the football. So Donald Cheney gets the handoff and he fumbles. He fumbles the ball. Um Georgia Tech recovers the ball with about 30 seconds left in the actual football game. Uh, I think it's 26 seconds left in the actual football game. Uh, And they are on their own. uh, I don't even remember what they were. I think it was like their own 27 or something like that. So Miami running the football fumbles it running the football for no discernible reason. Like the game is over. The game is over. If they kneel that ball on third and 10, the play clock runs. uh, The play clock cannot beat the game clock. The game clock will run out. And they will be shaking hands, whatever, doing the typical thing, handshake at the center of the field, whatever. But no, they run the football on third and 10. Donald Cheney fumbles the ball and it is given away to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech gets the ball back. 26 seconds left on their own 26 yard line. That's the official ruling. Their own 26 yard line. They proceed. By the way, this team has not been very good offensively up to this point. They've been basically dreadful. Uh, They finished this game with a total of, let me tr- let me double check it here, total yards passing of 151, and 74 of those yards passing came on this drive. So basically half of the passing yards from this game for Georgia Tech came on this ensuing drive. Uh, so Georgia Tech has the ball on, the 20, on their own 26-yard line, uh, and they get the ball. They have no timeouts, remember. 26 seconds, no way to stop the clock other than to go out of bounds at this point because they have possession of the football. They get the ball. They proceed to drive down the field. They have a 30-yard pass from Haynes Kings to Malik Rutherford. Uh, Rutherford I can't say his name. Malik Rutherford. Wow, why is that hard for me to say? Uh, 30-yard completion to the Miami 44. That was a first down. And then there's another incomplete pass. And then 
seemingly out of nowhere. For uh, some, it still baffles me. This one still baffles me almost as much as they're running. Um, Georgia Tech seems to run some sort of uh, post out option route. Um, Haynes King breaks contain uh, on the on the on the pass play, and it's basically the final play of the game because there's ten seconds left. Um, and Haynes King breaks contain from the Miami forty four. He lines up to throw the football down the field. And Christian Leary for Georgia Tech, the wide receiver for Georgia Tech, is wide open. Just wide open at about the 10-yard line of Miami. And Haynes King hits him on the run. And Georgia Tech, uh, Christian Leary, waltzes into the, info, uh, into the end zone, slides into the end zone, I guess is what I should say, because that's what he did. Um, and they end up scoring a touchdown and taking the lead 23-20 to with one second left in the game. And that is how the game would end. It would end 23-20. to Georgia Tech wins with 33 seconds left on the clock before the third down and 10 that the Miami Hurricanes had. They were leading 20 to 17. Georgia Tech had no timeouts and Miami would end up losing that football game. 23 to 20. One of the most baffable, unbelievable losses that I have ever seen in my entire life. I have never seen a team so arrogant in the idea of just kneeling the football. Uh, that they would decide to run. And, th- and again, they've been doing it all year and it hasn't really come to pass because, or come up because they've been in a bunch of blowouts. Like they've been leading two possession games at this point. So, you know, fumbling the football way or whatever hadn't have been, wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Um, but now for whatever reason, the belief of not kneeling the football comes back to bite them and they end up losing the game uh, with 30. And I cannot stress this enough. I cannot believe this happened. 33 seconds left. It was third and 10. They run the play on third down. If, you know, they kneel the football there, it would have been fourth and two or fourth and 12, excuse me. And the clock would have been running and the game would have been over. It would have like they wouldn't have had to run another play. The game would have been over and they run the football. Donald Donald Cheney fumbles the football and gives it up to Georgia Tech, who then proceeds to get half of the yardage they've gotten through the air all game and wins on a 44-yard touchdown pass to Christian Leary from Haynes King. There's a number of things that happened that I was like, one, how does that happen? What are you doing? Um, but that entire 33-second situation, I've never believed in like fixing of games or anything. Like, I'm like obviously, for the most part, uh, there's been the, there's been the referee in the NBA that got caught and then basically got banished, and then they made a documentary of him that was garbage. I can't remember his name. Um, that Netflix did. And he basically, cause he's a compulsive liar. So he basically fed Netflix, whatever they wanted to hear. Um, spoiler for those that aren't aware of that. Um, but that was really the only time where I was like, well, yeah, okay. That's good to know, but I guess they caught him. So whatever. Um, but ever since then I was like, you know, what it does, I don't see it happening. Like these people don't, uh, don't, uh, you know, don't, um, they care too much about what they do to fix games, I guess is what I would say. And it's like a whole team thing. It's different for like boxing. Cause it's one person you're, you're, you're basically one person is doing it. Whereas the entire team would have to affect it as, um, based on money. This is the first time where I was like, is crystal ball? Like, what was that? What's going on there? That was interesting. I'm a little questionable about that. Um, and that was, I mean, that was like a, that was like a passing thought. I was like, that's, you know, I thought that and I was like, no, there's no way that was just really idiotic. And then and then after that, after I said that to myself, I found out, um, courtesy of the internet, uh, pretty much, that this is not the first time that Mario Cristobal has done this. 2018, Oregon-Stanford, when he was the head coach at Oregon at the time, uh, Oregon was leading, and this is a little bit different. The one that happened 
uh, this past Saturday was way worse. Just way, way, way worse. Um, but it's a similar scenario. It's a very similar scenario. Uh, Oregon was leading 31 to 28 at home and the ball near midfield. Crystal ball, Mario Crystal ball could have had, uh, Justin Herbert kneel to run the clock down to 16 or fewer seconds before having to punt the football. Stanford had one timeout left. So they would have viewed this timeout to stop it at about 15, 16 seconds. And then the Oregon would have had to punt the football instead. Uh, Crystal ball had CJ Verdell run on second and two. The call looked entirely reasonable at the moment, but the redshirt freshman fumbled. Stanford took possession with 51 seconds left and drove to the tying to uh, to the tying field goal as time uh, and drove and kicked. I ex- excuse me for messing this up. This is by the way, this is by Chris Vanini. Uh, SF Gate wrote this. I apologize. I didn't say that at the top, uh, but they drove down, hit the game tying field goal as time expired. And then Stanford would go on to win 38 to 31 in overtime on Colby Parkinson's juggling touchdown catch and uh, Alameen Murphy's interception. So a similar situation, but this one is absurdly worse. The one that happened most recently because they would, the game would have ended. The game would have been over had they knelt the football on third and 10. They would not have had to run another single play and Georgia Tech could not have stopped the football or stopped the, uh, stopped the clock. Um, the other thing to take note of this, uh, Donald Cheney, he was, if you basically look at all the replays that you watch, he was more than likely down. It was a bad call on the field by the referees, but I don't, I, I mean, the referees got it wrong. Sure. They shouldn't be in that position regardless. Like that position, that situation should not have happened because they could have just kneeled the football. It was the most mind-numbing mistake I have ever seen from a head coach. I have never, ever seen that bad of a mistake, not only by the head coach, but then to allow Georgia Tech to, again, I cannot stress this enough, make ha- make up half of their passing yardage throughout the rest of the game, make it all up on that, make half of it up on that ensuing drive. They still had to drive tw- uh, 74 yards down the field uh, with 26 seconds and no timeouts, and Miami allowed that to happen. <laughs> They made four plays, 74 yards in 25 seconds. Uh, Georgia Tech did. And Miami had not allowed uh, 76 passing yards throughout the entire, or they had allowed 76 passing yards up to that point. And they allowed 74 yards on that single drive, drive in four plays in 25 seconds. Just an unbelievable set of circumstances. I don't know how they recover next week from that, to be honest with you, because it was the most head-scratching moment I've ever seen in, in the history of watching college football. I've never seen anything like that. I, I've never been that baffled. I, I thought, I don't even know what I was thinking at that point. I was like, the fix is in, and then that quickly went away because I was like, I'm not an idiot. You know, I I don't think every game is rigged because I'm not an idiot. Um, but I, I've never, I've never even come to, I, I've never like had that thought cross my mind while I was watching anything uh, other than like a Saints Rams, all those, you know, whenever that was years ago, I guess, 2018, 2019, uh, when that pass interference call was missed or whatever. But even then I was like, you, you know, refs miss that call all the time. Uh, I've never seen it from a head coach where I was like, oh, you just, you lost that football game. Like that was entirely on you. And I feel so bad for Donald Cheney, the, the running back who uh, fumble, who ended up fumbling the football because that's not on him. That's not on him. That that was entirely on Mario Cristobal. Um, he fumbled. Sure. But he shouldn't have been in that position regardless. Like he should not have had to be that play should not have been left up to the referees or that judgment call should not have been left up to the referees to make it because they should have just been kneeling the football and the game would have literally been over. Like it is, it is insane. I've never seen it. I saw some people say it was tarmac stuff, which is entirely 
I would agree, um, which tarmac stuff refers to, um, uh, Lane Kiffin got fired at USC, uh, while on the tarmac at the airport of like Los Angeles, LAX essentially, or something like that. Um, when he was the head coach at USC, when that's what they're referring to, I, they can't really fire Mario Cristobal though. And I I think that would have been a little over, um, overzealous at that point, obviously a little too, uh, a little too prisoner of the moment. Um, if they were to fire Mario Cristobal for that reason, because I mean, they're still five and one and they have a very good recruiting class and such, but like, I understand if people lose a lot of faith in Mario Cristobal after that, especially Miami fans. Cause it's like, if this is your game management skills, like yeah, we got a lot to worry about, especially in close games like that. If that's what's going to happen or something that you have to worry about, then that's a, that's a tough thing to have to look forward to and be nervous about because again, he did it in 2018. He hasn't learned in six years. Like if he hasn't learned anything from those six years since then, then like, what else are you expecting out of that? Out of your head coach at that point, you know? Um, and, and he has a massive contract too. Like Miami's not going to be able to make the pay, uh, pay out the rest of the contract. If they, uh, if they ever get to that point, like they're going to have to basically ride that out for another four or five years. And again, this is being, uh, it's being prisoner of the moment. He's done a pretty good job this season. Um, they beat Texas A&M at home. They, uh, even though they basically handed Texas A&M that game on a silver platter, which is peak Texas A&M. Uh, and they ended up in Texas A&M ended up losing that game. Um, but I, for the most part, they played pretty well. They look pretty decent for the most part. Um, Tyler Van Dyke, who's their quarterback does have some, uh, turnover worthy turnover prone uh, proneness if you will situations that really can uh, cost his team situations like that and the game uh but you know for the most part the team is still pretty solid but it's hard to imagine like a loss like that and then you have to take on North Carolina at North Carolina who is a pretty solid team they don't play any defense but it's a pretty solid team they have a, a top 2 prospect in the at quarterback in the upcoming NFL draft like you're going to have to recover from that and then go on the road and play North Carolina like that's a tough ask if you're Miami I can I can totally see something like that um having some sort of snowball effect on the rest of the team they play North Carolina and then they have to play Clemson, uh, Clemson which Clemson isn't a very good team in my opinion uh but you're you're talking about you know a much more well uh coached football team I would say in Clemson and in, in, in that sense and very much in the game management sense I would say uh, versus uh, a Miami team, which is still, I would imagine, snowballing from, and then if they lose to North Carolina, snowballing, snowballing even more uh, from the loss that they had against Georgia Tech. And Mario Cristobal, by the way, hasn't has not won a home ACC game yet this year. He hasn't won a home, not this year. Sorry, excuse me, hasn't won a home ACC game in his tenure. Not this just this year. He's zero five in home ACC games, which is that's pretty brutal. <laughs> that is uh, that's pretty brutal. Um, so yeah, that game. That uh, that was the story of the weekend, if you will, I would say. Basically, from Saturday onward, uh, that was basically anybody was talk a lot of people were talking about because, like, I've never seen, and again, most people have never seen a situation in like that where it was so head-scratching that I was like, and everybody was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? What's going on there? So, yeah, Miami loses to Georgia Tech in a game. I think they had a 99% chance to win, according to ESPN, which 99.9% chance to win that game, which is understandable because they had the ball back, sub a minute 30 left, and ended up losing the football game. So, uh, just Miami just finding a new way to lose. And they had new uniforms and everything like that that they were debuting in that game. And those uniforms will never come out again. Like, those are burnt, burnt to a crisp at this point. They'll never, we'll never see those uniforms ever again. Um, 
so yeah, that was the that was the story of the college football weekend for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right, a sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure You contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, let's move on to some other college football topics from the weekend. Uh, I have to capitulate. I have to capitulate. I have to admit to my wrongdoings, if you will, uh, because I was entirely incorrect. I was entirely wrong. Just openly, entirely wrong. And I believe on the, the our college football preview episode that we had, that I had with Grant Urie, my co-host, uh, my my guest, I guess is what I should say, co-host on another podcast we do called Active Reload. It's a video gaming podcast, if you're so attuned to that. Um, I have to capitulate because I did not think that the Wyoming Cowboys would be able to get to this point, basic uh, five and one. I thought we were going to be looking at a record of them being possibly two and four. I thought that's kind of where I was uh, up to this point with this team, maybe three and um, three and three up to this point, because there were some tough matchups in this, in this schedule and Wyoming just grinded it out. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be the team that we are, which they haven't really changed anything. I think, especially offensively, they have really not changed a whole lot. Um, but I saw their schedule. I was like, Texas tech was going to be a loss. Texas was going to be a loss. I thought Appalachian state was going to be a loss. Um, and then, then I, and then, uh, in Fresno state, I thought Fresno state was going to be a loss as well. So I thought they were going to be, we're going to be at this point and they're going to be two and four coming into this season. Um, and I was wrong. I was completely wrong. They're playing a lot better than I thought they were going to play. They're kind of, um, a bend don't break type of team, uh, if you will, uh, especially uh, in a, in a lot of their matchups. I most of these matchups have been, uh, one score ball games other than Texas, Portland state, um, and New Mexico. So I guess not most of them, four out of the, uh, four out of, what is it? Four out of seven, four out of six, uh, three out of six. I'm really mixing things up here. Three out of six have been, um, one score ball games. And, uh, I think they are just kind of a very good Ben don't break type of team, which is, um, something to, I think, take for, uh, take moving forward. I don't have, let me, let me start with the good stuff first. Okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. They beat Fresno State, and it was a very good game. Uh, they really showed out, again, the bend-don't-break type of defense. Their defense was very good, um, and they lost, uh, Fresno State lost Mikey Keene for the most of the fourth quarter, um, which was a big loss, their quarterback, uh, which was a big loss for them in the fourth quarter. But um, Wyoming just continued to 
play. I mean, they played a fantastic first half. This was another problem that I kind of saw with Wyoming in uh, past years. Uh, they played a very good for- first half. They got up to 24-7 at halftime, and then uh, they didn't do any scoring. They literally did not score again after that. They they allowed Fresno State to score the rest of the points in that game. And I think in previous iterations of their team, um, they probably would have lost that game. I think that was a game that they would have lost. Fresno State was driving at the end of that game, and it was it, it was an interception that sealed it from a defensive lineman of all people. A nose tackle uh, intercepted the ball to end the game. But I think Wyoming, the previous iterations of the Wyoming Cowboys end up losing that game because they don't get a lot of second half, second half offense. And then when their offense starts to sputter like that, then their defense can only really hold on for so long. And uh, that has been problems in the past where they have really kind of held games closer than they needed to be. uh, And then ended up losing the football game. There have been plenty of games in the past for Wyoming where you're like, that's a game that they should have won, you know, like plenty, plenty of other games. And they've had, they had one of those this year where they held Texas all the way up to the third quarter. And it was a one score ball game heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, and it was a game that they could have very easily won. Um, but then Texas just kind of exploded in the second half. Um, but now we're sitting here and they're five and one, they're a five and one football team. And I'm looking at their, at their schedule, uh, their upcoming schedule, the Cowboys upcoming schedule. And I see air force, which I like to be a positive man, and I am capitulating, but Air Force is very good, ladies and gentlemen. Air Force is very, very good football team. Um, I don't think uh, they weren't ranked. The Cowboys did not get ranked, uh, but if they beat Air Force, they will be ranked. Uh, they will be ranked in the not even the AP Top 25. They could be ranked in the top 20 if they beat uh, Air Force. I wouldn't be stunned by that, but again, that's a tough matchup at Air Force. Air Force has been very, very good. They're doing it in all the Air Force ways that we know, uh, Armed Forces ways. They love to run the football. They have a couple uh, big plays from the quarterback that they uh, they'd like to air out. I think their quarterback's averaging like 20 th- 23.9 yards per completion or something ridiculous like that. Uh, so they'll catch people off guard just airing it out at some point. Um, but again, they love to love to run the football to what the armed forces do. Uh, and their defense has been suffocating, just absolutely suffocating as well. One of the best defenses in the entire country and not just mountain West, the entire country. Um, so that's a very tough matchup for the Cowboys. And I'll be curious to see what they do in that game. But after that, like I can see a scenario in which this team is 10 and two at the end of the season. They could drop a dumb one. Like that wouldn't surprise me either. Colorado state. That's always, it's a rivalry game. So that game's always uh, very competitive. Um, but, you know, at Boise State, that's a game they should win, but I could see those demons creeping up again and biting them. Losing that game wouldn't be surprised by that either. Um, but again, Air Force probably lost. Then they play Boise State on the road. They could win that. Colorado State, they should win. UNLV, Hawaii, and Nevada. Look, those are all games that they should win. UNLV could be a tough matchup as well. We'll see with that one. Um, but uh, we'll get a little bit closer. We'll see kind of who... UNLV is and uh, where they kind of stack up with Wyoming as we get closer. That one's a November 10th game. So we'll see where they're at. And uh, I could see it. I could totally see a, a situation where they're 10 and three entering bowl season, 11 to open uh, entering bowl season. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I think they're good enough to get to that point and very much good enough to compete for a mountain West championship game. And they kind of like other than Boise state, um, and air force, obviously it's basically air force versus, uh, Wyoming, kind of the leading candidates to win out the rest of this conference. Boise state's always going to be kind of sneaking in there, but I don't think Boise state's, I, I mean, they're not as good, uh, as we've seen in previous years, they're three and three on the season so far. They had a pretty tough non-conference schedule, but, um, I think they're not nearly as good as they have been in previous years. And I think they might uh, sputter a couple in a couple of games against uh, some other mountain West conference opponents. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I think they should be in the conversation for a mountain West conference uh, conference championship appearance for sure. This is, I think the best 
time for them or, or the most likely time for them to try to reach that championship game because I do think it's kind of wide open in the Mountain West outside of Air Force. Uh, I mean, Fresno State and Air Force, like they're all still really good teams. Fresno State's only lost that one conference game against Wyoming, obviously. Um, And they've only lost one game overall against Wyoming, obviously. Um, So it's still really wide open. And, you know, when it's wide open like this, anybody can make it. And I think Wyoming has showed that they have the capability to uh, do it. I think they have the capability to make a run in the Mountain West and then possibly see themselves, I mean, especially if they beat Air Force, uh, the rest of that schedule, they should be able to, like, a, a hyper-positive person in me can see them going 11-2. and two. I don't, or 10-2, and two, excuse me. Um, have I been saying 11-2? and two? I think it's 10-2 and two before bowl season. I apologize. Um, but before bowl season, I think that I could totally see them going 10-2 and two and making, like, a New Year's Six Bowl, winning the Mountain West and making some sort of New York Six New Year's Six Bowl I do see them slipping up in one of these games at some point just because, I mean, that happens, I think, very frequently just in general in college football. Um, basically, every good team has a slip up here or there, uh, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility from the Cowboys. They've done it before, obviously, but I do think there is a slip up um, on this schedule somewhere. Um, but if they're playing like they have been playing, very bend, don't break, uh, decent enough offense that is getting them there. If Harrison Whaley, he went down with an injury, that seems like it's going to be pretty severe the way he was walking off the off the field. I don't want to, you know, uh, I don't want to guess like what the injury is or anything like that, but he couldn't put any weight on his leg when he was walking off. That looked pretty severe. So uh, losing him would be monstrous. That would be a huge loss. Um, and they would kind of have to go back to running back by committee. But Andrew Peasley's done a very good job this year at quarterback, even though they haven't really had to lean on him too much through the passing game. He's done a lot on his feet as well. Um, and I think that is going to pay dividends, uh, towards the, towards the latter half of the football season. And, um, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm capitulating. I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought this, uh, I thought this, uh, football team was going to be worse than they are. Um, but I mean, they're proving me wrong and I, I apologize. I apologize for being incorrect because I was very incorrect. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where they go. I, I really, I can't, I can totally see them having a double digit win season up at this point. I think air force again, that's a very tough game, but the rest of their schedule is pretty favorable. Uh, air force Boise state's going to be hard. UNLV could be difficult. Once they get to that point, couples should be easy home games against Nevada and Hawaii. And then, or excuse me, against Hawaii and Colorado state. And then they go on the road at Nevada. So, um, they should, I, I think, you know, nine and three, 10 and two, that sort of thing is, is something that is totally possible, uh, for this Wyoming football team. And, uh, they've done nothing but prove me wrong. And I think prove a lot of people wrong. Like they've been one of the best, uh, group of five teams in the country. Uh, I think their offense is still a little questionable here and there, but their, their defense has been uh, pretty solid so far this season. So, um, good for, Cow- good for the Cowboys. Good for the Cowboys. Still a, lot of, a long season to go, obviously, but still good for the Cowboys. Good for them. All right, let's move on to poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week, an actual good game of the week. This is going to have to be pretty quick because I am running pretty long on time here, but let's start with, oh, let's start with the actual good game of the week. The actual good game of the week, no surprise, Oklahoma, Texas. That was a fantastic game, unbelievable game, lots of fun, fun to watch, fun game to, I'm sure, play in, fun, fun game I'm sure to be at. That was the actual good game of the week, no surprises there. Let's talk poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. Um, it is an anniversary day today. It is an anniversary day today. We have a Hall of Fame poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week anniversary. Uh, this dates back to October 10th of 2015. October 10th is the day of recording. So, you know, whenever you're listening to it, just imagine it's October 10th. Uh, October 10th, 2015, a Hall of Fame poo-poo garbage, no good game. 
Wake Forest against Boston College. One of the grossest games in the history of college football. It was a final of, get ready for this one, three to nothing. Wake Forest won the game three to nothing. Nope, it's not a baseball score. It is a football score, ladies and gentlemen. It was three to nothing. Wake Forest got a field goal, I believe it was in the third quarter. Um, I'm going to double check here, but they were playing and Wake Forest was terrible on offense. It was the third quarter. Uh, Mike Weaver hit a 25 yard field goal to seal the game against Boston College. Boston College had 270 total yards. Wake Forest had 142 total yards. Uh, five first downs. Boston College had 18 first downs and Boston College somehow lost this football game. I don't know how. Don't ask me. Uh, this game was really gross, really an epitome of poo poo garbage. No good game. Uh, Jeff Smith, the quarterback for Boston College, he finished the game four of 12 for 56 yards and a touchdown, 11.4 QBR. Wake Forest's quarterback, John Wolford. Uh, John Wolford, is he in the, is he in the league? I might, that's, that's a bad, I, I think Wofford is the one that's in the league. I don't know. Uh, he was 11 for 25, 109 yards and an interception himself. Neither, neither team, uh, obviously scored a touchdown, obviously. Uh, and, uh, they had six combined turnovers, six Combined turnovers, three fumbles for Boston College. That was a big reason they lost this football game. Total EPA for either team. <laughs> Total EPA. Minus 37.85 from Wake Forest and minus 36.08 from Boston College. A negative 35.06 to, uh, offensive EPA and a negative 30.57 offensive EPA from Boston College. It was truly a disgusting game. One of the worst games ever put on the gridiron and it took a kicker who made a kick in the third quarter who probably thought to himself this kick will matter down the line but this won't be the game winning kick obviously it's the third quarter with 10 minutes and 18 seconds left little did he know it would end up being the game winning kick and they would wake forest the wake forest demon deacons would go on to win three to nothing over boston college uh and uh they would end up going three and three in Boston College. That would drop them to three and three. So congratulations to Wake Forest. Uh, this was, again, I don't know why I'm saying congratulations. This was eight years ago. Uh, congratulations on the anniversary, I guess we'll say that. Congrats on the anniversary for both these teams uh, on the poo-poo garbage no good game anniversary game uh, of the week. Now let's take a look at what we had this past week. I don't know if we're going to have anything that really matches that level of disgusting. Um, we could go, and ladies and gentlemen, I really hate to do this to you. I do. I think this might be my pick. I'll be honest with you. Iowa, again, I'm sorry. All right? I'm sorry. They're kind of ruining this entire segment, to be honest with you, because they're terrible. Like, they're god-awful. They're god-awful on offense. They're good on defense, and they they just produce garbage. They just produce terrible, terrible stuff every single week. But guess what? They win the football game. That's going to be my pick for the poo-poo garbage. No good game of the week. Uh, Iowa, they beat Purdue, and it was a disgusting game. Purdue, somehow. By the way, Iowa has, has a backup quarterback in. Uh, Cade McNamara, is that, is that who is? Yeah, Cade McNamara uh, went down with injury uh, last week against Penn State. Is that who they played? I can't really remember. I don't remember who they played. I don't think it was Penn State. I think it was, uh, who was it that they played? Nebraska? Something like that. Illinois, Nebraska. Um and he went down with an injury, and that was the end of his season. So they're running with a backup quarterback in uh, in this game, and it was uh, it was bad. I mean, it was not a delightful experience for Iowa fans and just football fans in, in general. Uh, the quarterback in this game was for Iowa was um, let me get his name here, Deacon Hill for Iowa. He's the backup quarterback, and was starting now, and will be starting for the rest of the season, presumably for 
Iowa. He was six for 21, 110 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Here's a stat for you. Are you ready for this one? This one's pretty insane. Zero completions to wide receivers for Deacon Hill and Iowa. You heard that correctly. Zero completions to wide receivers. I love this game. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. He went six for 21, 110 yards. They ended up winning this game 20 to 14. I hate this team. I hate this team because then they had Caleb Johnson, who was their running back, 17 carries, 134 yards, one touchdown uh, for Purdue. They had Hudson Card as their quarterback, 25 for 40, 247 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. He wasn't that great, but definitely better than Deacon Hill, obviously. And uh, Iowa just ends up winning. Iowa just ends up winning. Dude, it's one of the most uncanny things in football is Iowa just putting out garbage, just trash every week on offense. And this was one of the worst weeks for it. Just a terrible week on offense. And guess what? They won 20 to 14. It is uncanny. I make fun of Iowa every week. Guess what? They're five and one. They're five and one. Like it is, it's unbelievable. They can't keep getting away with this. It's unbelievable what this Iowa team does. And just Iowa as a football program does where they can just, they might as well throw the special teams out there. Like don't even have an offense hunt on every first down, every time they get the football back and they might still win the football game because that's just how they win football games. They don't even care about offense except rushing the football, which granted Caleb Johnson, 17 carries 134 yards again and a touchdown. So let's just say they don't play with a quarterback. Let's just say, say that we'll put them out there. No quarterback. And they're only running the football special teams and defense. They still probably go seven and three uh, up to the, uh, up to this point. They're probably uh, up to this point. They're probably four and two. Like I, I don't get it. I don't get how Iowa just keeps doing this. Okay. Their offense is completely useless. Uh, especially passing the ball. They don't need to pass the ball because they run the football effectively and their defense will just stop anybody. It's unbelievable. I like, I don't get it. I hate it so much. Um, so yeah, they, that was my poo poo garbage. Get no good game of the week. It was Auburn versus or Auburn, Iowa versus Purdue. Uh, Iowa won 20 to 14. Their quarterback. I don't, I, I, even when I say that out loud, it blows my mind. Quarterback had 110 yards. He completed six passes, none of which were to actual wide receivers. Uh, and he had a uh, one touchdown one interception uh, and they had a rushing a running back that was had 17 carries 134 yards and a touchdown. This is tight end. You, by the way, Iowa is um, and their offense just, I don't know how they do it, man. I don't get it. It's just mind numbing. It's unbelievable. Like they can't keep getting away with this. They're going to ruin my segment, man. I love poo poo garbage. No good game of the week and picking the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week, but it's hard not to pick their games because they're awful to watch. Like they're just terrible. They're terrible games to watch. Anyways, whatever, man, we're going to keep doing the segment. Okay. They're, they're not, they're not going to sink us. All right. They're not going to sink our ship talking about poo poo garbage. No good game of the weeks, but I like, it's hard not to pick them every week because it's just terrible. Like it's just some of the worst stuff you'll ever watch is whenever Iowa is playing college football and they're still five and one, they're still five and one. I don't know how they do it. Uh, all right, let's pick this week's poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. We're going to scroll through some of the games here. Last week's was not a good pick. Um, Northern Illinois came out. They scored, what was it, 55 points over Akron. They beat them 55 to 14. So not necessarily an interesting football game, uh, but more offense than I thought there was going to be. I thought it was going to be a lot more uh, defensive, uh, much more of a defensive struggle, if you will, in that game um, than it actually ended up being. So I was incorrect there. I, you know, it's hard not to just pick Iowa at this point. I mean, Christ, man, like they just can't, they can't, like they've never heard of offense. They've never heard of it, especially throwing the football. They never heard, they've never heard of throwing the football. So 
Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid picking Iowa, but don't be expected don't don't expect anything else other than next week when I'm recapping and I pick the actual poo poo garbage no good game of the week, not the preview of one. Um, to, for me to pick that team because that's why they just do it. They just this is just what they do. Um, okay, so poo poo garbage no good game of the week P- prediction for this week. Um, we got a pretty bad one. In Charlotte this week, Navy at Charlotte, that might be poo-poo garbage. Uh, Navy, again, the Armed Forces team, so they run a lot of triple option stuff. Two and three on the season, Charlotte's one and four. That might one, that one I don't think will be necessarily bad per se, but it is hard to watch like a, a triple option game where like Navy should win this game like 28 to seven or whatever, and they're just running, like kind of getting whatever they want, and they'll just dominate the, the time of possession, and there won't really be any time for Charlotte to do anything, so that could definitely be a possible pick. Um, another one here, ISU versus Cincinnati, Iowa State versus Cincinnati, not a terrible pick either. That one um, isn't a bad pick necessarily, I don't think. Both these teams have been pretty bad so far, especially offensively. Cincinnati's been a little bit better. Uh, but Iowa State's been truly, truly dreadful on offense. Um, as for the actual pick for this week, I think I'm going to go with another Big Ten matchup. There's a a stinker Bruin, if you will. <laughs> there is a stinker Bruin in where is Rutgers at? Where is that college at? Isn't that in New York? Am I wrong about that? Where is Rutgers uh, College located? I got to remember Rutgers University, New Jersey. Um, I think that's where it is, right? Isn't it in New Jersey? Is it in New Jersey? It's in New Brunswick, or excuse me, the state of New Jersey. Okay, that didn't help me at all. Uh, New Jersey. We'll just say New Jersey. There's a stinker brewing in New Jersey. Uh, it's between Big Ten's been a very popular pick for this for this segment of the show, and rightfully so. Uh, there's some garbage in there. Um, but stinker brewing in New Jersey. It is Michigan State at. Rutgers, ladies and gentlemen, that is the pick for this week. Uh, Rutgers is a decent rushing team, decent rushing team. I say that very decently. Um, they're both pretty good defensively. Both these teams are, and neither one of these teams can really pass the ball. Michigan state can't do anything, uh, running or passing. Like they just can't do anything good offensively. Um, but they're all, they're both uh, pretty, pretty okay. Uh, defensively. So expect a stinker defensive, uh, a defensive game with not a whole lot of interesting offensive games uh, or offensive stuff happening throughout the game. Like just kind of expect that that's what I'm expecting. And uh, that's what you should expect out of New Jersey. It's at 10 AM. So an early, an early stinker, if you will, um, to get prepared for in New Jersey, it is Michigan state at Rutgers. That is my poo poo garbage. No good game of the week pick of the week for my actual good game of the week pick. You know what I'm doing? I'm being a little Homer. I'm going to be a little Homer here and that's okay. Nothing wrong with being a little Homer. Um, why not? Wyoming at Air Force. I think that's going to be should be a good game and a fun game, uh, an interesting game, game that will de- that will um, uh, decide more or less the leading front runner of the Mountain West Conference and kind of who will get the group of five top twenty five ranking, other than you know James Madison. Because if Air Force wins, they will get a top twenty five ranking more than more than likely. If Wyoming wins, they will get a top 25 ranking. Like, I would not be surprised by either either one of those situations. So it's kind of a battle for the top 25, if you will. Um, so I'm going to pick that. I'm going to pick Air Force versus Wyoming. It should be a very fun game. There's some other really good games on the actual uh, on the actual schedule as well, like USC's taking on Notre Dame. That should be a very interesting game. USC couldn't stop the Sheridan Bronx if they had, uh, like if the Sheridan Bronx went up and played, this is no indictment of the Sheridan Bronx. Obviously, they're a high school football team, you know, 
they shouldn't be playing against USC. I'm just making a point. Um, but if the Sheridan Bronx went up and played against USC right now, very possible the Sheridan Bronx walk away with 21 points. I'm just saying. Like, USC couldn't stop anybody right now. So that'll be an interesting game. Possible bounce-back game for Notre Dame. And then Oregon versus Washington. That'll be a huge game. Basically, a bona fide playoff game at this point between those two teams. Um, Pac-12, man. Pac-12 is really good. But I'm going I'm going uh, Wyoming versus Air Force. Very important game in the Mountain West. Very important game in the top 25 rankings and such. Wyoming could see themselves if they win that game in the top 25 for the first time since 1998. So... We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but that is my pick for the actual good game of the upcoming week. Wyoming at Air Force. That game kicks off at when does that game actually kick off? Let me double check here before I say anything that I regret and have you guys watching something incorrect. Uh, that game kicks off at 5 p.m. 5 p.m. our time on Saturday. So be prepared for that. That's going to be a big game and should be fun to watch. Should be a fun game to watch. Let's move on. NFL, we got to do this quickly. Uh, I always take longer in the college football segment. I like college football more, so I just enjoy talking about college football a lot more in general. Um, so we're going to talk NFL, but you know, I got my, I got my notes here for NFL. Um, I want to start with something that was an underrated offseason move for the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions have looked very good so far this year. Uh, very solid football team. Very good offensive football team. Defensive football team, too. Um, but their offense has surprised me in numerous ways um, just because, I mean, they're making Jared Goff again look like a very good quarterback, which I think a lot of us thought that that was like when he got traded from Los Angeles to Detroit, that was kind of the end of his career. That was going to be, you know, he was going to be the the next you know, nameless face in Detroit that nobody was really going to remember or anything like that. But he turned into a pretty solid quarterback for the Detroit Lions. And I think a lot of that is to, um, it has to be, credit has to be given to Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator. That was an, a, a very good job of the Detroit Lions by luring him back to Detroit to be the offensive coordinator again because he's a very, very good offensive coordinator. He's fun to watch. The stuff he crafts uh, for Jared Goff to try to basically fit the scheme that Jared Goff is in, not necessarily Jared Goff trying to fit the scheme that that Ben Johnson is in, if that makes sense. A lot of offensive coordinators, I think, try to do that. It ends up, you know, basically making their quarterback look bad or, you know, whatever. Um, And, you know, offensive coordinator in turn also looking bad. Um, But Ben Johnson has basically developed this sort of Passing game that Jared makes uh, a very simple game for Jared Goff, if you will. They use a lot of motion as well. They plug in a lot of very cool plays that are fun to watch and uh, really create like the best situation for Jared Goff to succeed and then the rest of that offense to succeed. And like they've created a superstar out of Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, and then uh, David Montgomery is a perfect situation for him as well. And Jamal Williams, who was there not too long ago, um, was, a per- was a great situation for him. DeAndre Swift looked very good in that offense as well. So that offense, I mean, I never thought I'd say this, but that Lions offense is something to be reckoned with. Like, it's a very good team. That trickery, that uh, trick play that they ran uh, against the Panthers this past Sunday um, was wild, where they had uh, Jared Goff line up under center, essentially, and then the center hiked the football underneath Jared Goff's legs to a direct snap of the running back, essentially, and it just fooled. I mean, it didn't really fool anybody, I don't think, but it just looked really cool. Like, it didn't really, like, I don't, I think they only gained, like, four or five yards out of it. It didn't, you know, end up being a touchdown or anything, but it was a really cool, I've never, it was a play I'd never seen before. So I think that's one of the underrated acquisitions or, I guess, re-acquisitions, because he was already with the Lions. He was looking for head coaching jobs and such, but for them to retain Ben Johnson was a huge get uh, for the Lions, and I think, um, like they're going to be one of the front runners in the NFC. Like granted, I think there's a pretty large gap between the 49ers um, and the Eagles. I think those are the two best teams in the NFC. But after that, I think it's like in tier two, if you will, 
Uh, I think headlining tier two is probably the Lions right now, which is what a world we live in at this point uh, where the Lions, they're leading the NFC North pretty handily at this point and probably the third best team uh, in the NFC. Um, wouldn't be stunned to see them maybe upset the Eagles or something like that or the, the 49ers in the playoffs if we get to that point and they're still good and then we see them in a uh, NFC championship game or something like that. Like That wouldn't surprise me at all um, because they're you know, very well run offensively and defensively like Dan Campbell has got that team. And that's the other thing that I don't think I think people take a take for granted for the Lions team is Dan Campbell has that team playing with their hair on fire. Like they love to play for Dan Campbell and the rest of that coaching staff. They just love to play for one another, which you can, you can see on the field all the time. Like they, they, they play with a bunch of uh, like a ton of passion, ton of effort on every single play. Um, and it pans out because I mean, they're a very, very good football team. And, um, just it all it jumps off the screen uh, whenever you're watching that team play um, on the also also in my notes Lamar Jackson and the Ravens they had just a brutal loss just a terrible loss you had Kenny Pickett uh, diming up your outside receiver when you were blitzing um, in the final seconds of this game and Kenny Pickett just threw a dot a downfield throw that he hasn't made the entire season and he throws a perfect dot on the outside that leads to a touchdown that costs them the football game. Lamar Jackson plays uh, one of probably the best zero touchdown, one interception games that I've ever seen uh, his receiver. I think he had he fit, his receivers finished with seven drops or something like that. Like that law. I felt so bad for Lamar Jackson. Cause I you're the quarterback. Obviously you're going to take a lot of the blame for that uh, for a loss like that, but that wasn't his fault. Like that, that game was sold by his receivers uh, and the rest of that team. I think some of the play calling around um, Baltimore probably offensively needs to change a little bit as well. They're still not getting as much downfield action as I would like to see with the speed that they have on that team. Like uh, Devin Duvernay, Zay Flowers are both incredibly fast players, and I'd like to see them try to work a lot more downfield action with those two players. Like Lamar Jackson isn't a terrible downfield uh, down the football field thrower, and they have a security blanket in Mark Andrews, who granted has dealt with some injury problems, obviously, but when he's on the field, he's the perfect security blanket for Lamar Jackson. Like he can just dish it out to him every time. Um, and he'll be, he'll at least get his hands on the football. It seems like, um, but yeah, that game, like you shouldn't be out, um, out coached offensively. I don't know if out coached is the right word because it did take that, that lob at the end there essentially. And a couple special teams plays from the Steelers to win that football game. Um, but like, that's a game and, and the Steelers have a very good defense as well. Um, and TJ Watt's going to be a hall of famer by the time he's done as a, as an edge rusher, but like, that's a game they should win against the Steelers. Um, especially offensively, like, they should play better than that offensively, uh, against the Steelers. Like the Steelers just have the Ravens number for whatever reason. I mean, they're rivals obviously, but it feels like whenever the Ravens are playing the Steelers, the Ravens just have no answer for whatever the Steelers are doing, especially defensively. Um, so I felt bad for Lamar Jackson. Cause I was like, man, like that was, that's one of the best, like, a best no touchdown one interception games I've ever seen where he was just like, he was throwing very good passes all day. He didn't necessarily put the ball into too much trouble. I think he had, according to PFF, like four big time throws down the field. Um, and he had set, like his receivers had seven drops, which accounted for a decent amount of his completion percentage, which is, um, hurts. Obviously that is not a, a good way, uh, to win football games. If your receivers are dropping footballs like that. So, um, you know, I, I'm curious to see where the Ravens go from here because, I think that's still a very good football team. Again, a year after year, it feels like the Ravens are dealing with an absurd amount of injuries. And that was happening again this year. Um, that's been happening so far again this year. Um, and you know, once they get healthy, I think they are a good football team. Um, but it, it constantly feels like they're dealing with injuries, like always dealing with injuries. Um, 
Anyways, uh, next, man, the Broncos, huh? The Broncos. I don't know what to take from, I don't know what the Broncos do at this point, to be honest with you. They're one in, what are they, one in five now at this point? One in four at this point. Um, they have a very, very difficult schedule coming up. Um, they play the Chiefs, the Bills, and then I think the Chiefs again, if I remember correctly. So that's an entire situation where you're one in seven, and I would not be, excuse me, it's the Chiefs, the Packers, the Chiefs, and then the Bills. So uh, two and seven or whatever, two and two and eight, I guess is what I would say um, to the, through those games. And I wouldn't be stunned by that at all. Two and seven. Uh, if they beat the Packers, that should be, I think that's a game they can win, but the chiefs, no, the chiefs again, no, the bills, no, like no shot. Um, the chiefs, like uh, they haven't beaten the chiefs since, and this is not, I'm not making this stat up. They haven't beaten the chiefs since September of 2015. That was eight years ago. I was, I just graduated high school. I just graduated high school when they last beat the chiefs. It was 2015 when they last beat the chiefs. Um, and there's no reason to believe that they're going to do it again. Like their defense is God awful. Their defense is terrible. I cannot believe how bad their defense is. Uh, their, their rush defense is bad. Their pass defense is bad. I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, Patrick, Patrick's retain is still doing whatever he can out there. I think he had an interception if I remember correctly this past week um, against the jets. But again, like they can't outside of him, they can't do anything defensively. They cannot stop the run. They've been gashed on the ground a couple weeks in a row now. Um, and I don't know where you go from here. If you're the Broncos, like there's not a lot of hope to be had. Russell Wilson is playing better. I, I will say that their offense seems to be playing a little bit better, clicking a little bit more. Um, and Russell Wilson is playing a little bit better. He's throwing the ball downfield a little bit more. He seems like he's got a little bit of that magic back. Granted that fumble cannot happen in that game against the Jets. That's, cannot happen in that moment uh, when he's scrambling. He just has the ball out in, you know, uh, no coverage over the football. And it's just an easy tap that allows a fumble and a return for a touchdown that basically seals the game. Um, but for the most part, Sean Payton, when he's come in, I think he's done a decent job after those first two weeks. I was a little nervous because it didn't look like there was too much of a difference, but now five weeks in, it looks like there's, you know, they're improving. He's improved a little bit. Uh, Russell Wilson has um, through these first five weeks. So the offense is looking a little bit better, but man, their defense, I cannot believe how bad their defense has been because their defense was the thing that they leaned on for a lot of the time. Um, when Russell Wilson was trying to figure it out, when they were still going through quarterback issues before Russell Wilson, uh, trying to find a quarterback, the next quarterback to kind of fix them, uh, there was the defense that they were leaning on to be the you know the 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 group that helped them win football football games or led them to wins uh, uh, as a football team. But now like their defense is historically bad. Like it is unbelievable how bad their defense is. Um, and yeah, so I don't know how you fix it because now you're, you're dealing with a whole different issue at this point. If you're Broncos, like the offense is somewhat there. It's a little bit better. Um, you can see there's somewhat of a climb there in terms of output. Uh, and like if you're, you know, looking at a, a scale or whatever, there's somewhat of an upswing on the offensive side of the ball, but the, the defense has fallen off a cliff, fallen off a cliff. And I think Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, I don't think Vance Joseph is necessarily a bad defensive coordinator. I just think there's some, there's some scheme issues going on there that I don't know if he is like trying to run a similar scheme that Fangs was running uh, when he was the defensive coordinator and head coach, I guess the head coach there will also kind of putting together the defense. Um, but when he was there, I, I don't know if he's trying to run a similar scheme because he feels like uh, he does not or not does not, but I guess he wants to kind of not make his defensive players shift too much out of what they have already known, you know, if that makes sense, uh, or what they're already familiar with. But Vance Joseph, like he doesn't know the scheme that Vic Fangio did 
better than Vic Fangio. So, or even equal to Vic Fangio. So why are you running it? You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is there. I don't even really know what's wrong. You know, like I'm not a, a football expert by any means, uh, but there's just running lanes that are wide open for running backs. There are outside of Patrick's Pat certain um, receivers running wide open that we see all the time. It's just a mess. It's a mess in Denver. Um, and I don't know how you fix it. And I think there's a very, 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 very strong possibility. We look uh, over these next few weeks and they're one and eight on the season, like one and eight. Uh, they have a bye week after the second Chiefs matchup, but then they play the Bills. And I think after that, like you, you can totally see them being one and eight on the season at the very most two and seven. Like I don't see them beating the Chiefs. I don't see them beating the Bills at all at this point. Um, So I don't know what you do. I'm sorry, Broncos fans. I can't help you. I, I will just say it sucks to be you. That's it sucks to be you right now. And that's that part's actually true. Like it does kind of suck to be you. Um, I will say uh, kind of concluding here. I do want to wrap up by saying something um, that I kind of noticed in going back to that Steelers game. Um, we are living. We have so many rules that favor offensive football in this league, um, but we are living in kind of a uh, renaissance era, if you will, or golden era of uh, NFL pass rushers like the the level of pass rushers that we have on the football field just week in week out that are probably like if all continues to go well they continue to play on somewhat the level that they are playing on now probably we probably have four or five hall of famers that are playing right now that are just specifically pass rushers um, TJ Watt on his way to being a hall of famer one of the greatest of all time uh, in terms of pass rushers Miles Garrett well on his way to being a hall of famer one of the greatest pass rushers of all time that we've ever seen uh, Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa, one of the greatest pass rushers we've seen, uh, and one of the best pass rushers in the league right now, if he can stay healthy again, could possibly be a hall of fame candidate. Uh, another one, uh, Joey Bosa as well. Joey Bosa, if he could stay healthy, he's had more health issues as well. Um, but if he can stay healthy, continue to rush the passer as well as he has definitely a possibility of him seeing in Canton as well. Micah Parsons, who is still, you know, still pretty early for him, but one of the best pass rushers in the league already, basically two seasons in, um, and we could definitely see him in Canton at some point. Wouldn't be surprised by that. Like the amount of pass rushers that we have in this league. Also, not necessarily just edge rushers as well. Aaron Donald, already you could already make his bust in Canton. Like he already should have a uh, a bust in Canton being formed because he's probably the best defensive tackle that I've ever seen play the, the game of football. And with everything that we have that favors offensive football in this league, it is crazy how many just unbelievably high caliber pass rushers we have in the league as well. Like at the same time with everything that favors quarterback play and offensive football, we have two, like four or five of the greatest, um, not of the greatest of all time, but four or five really hall of fame caliber. If they continue on the trajectory that they're on right now, hall of fame caliber pass rushers in this league, um, which is crazy. Like I don't remember a time in which we could really say that um, at least since I've been alive that we can really say that um, about an NFL, I guess, era, if you will, um, because, you know, that's like pass rushing. I don't know how important. I mean, it's always been important, but now I think more than ever, uh, it's more important than ever because you have to be able to get to quarterbacks um, with four because blitzing at this point with how good quarterback uh, perception has become and your your drop off or your drop offs and your keys for quarterbacks um, against the blitz have become so good that it's been kind of I mean, for a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, it's kind of, or at least the good quarterbacks, it's kind of a death sentence to blitz particular quarterbacks, whether it be Justin Herbert, whether it be Patrick Mahomes, or it be Joe Burrow, what have you. Um, you know, it's kind of a death sentence to try to blitz those guys. So you have to be able to have a good enough defensive line that can reach the quarterback with just four rushers. And I think that's really 
um, bred very good pass rushers um, that have helped teams have to only rush the passer with four uh, with four rushers. And um, I think a lot of those players have really um, have really like built their identity around that and being able to do it without help, essentially, um, which I'm not saying any of the past, the former past, you know, great pass rushers of all time have needed help or anything like that, obviously, or have done it with uh, with blitzes or anything like that. But the blitz right now um is far less than it was you know years and years prior uh during those different eras in football history and uh, now it's such a commodity to have that edge rusher or that interior pass rusher that is able to get the quarterback with get to the quarterback without needing any blitz um and coverage sacks have become so important in the game of football that we're seeing kind of a renaissance uh in terms of uh, the ability of edge rushers and just the amount of fantastic edge rushers that we have in uh, in the game today so i thought i would just point this out point that out because it's like it feels like every week there's a new guy that i'm that uh, not necessarily anybody's not talking about but it's like every week uh basically in every game you're like oh that's a really good pass rusher that they have over there like every team it feels like almost almost every team has one um that they're willing to that they're gonna allow to rush with four uh with three other guys on the defensive line so um yeah that was uh that was a, a note a a a uh observation i guess is the word i'm looking for an observation that i had over the weekend um so hey appreciate your pass rushers you know appreciate appreciate your pass rushers if you're a a fan of any of the 10 teams that has a very good uh pass rusher on their team so uh yeah i think that's going to wrap up the show today i want to thank you very much for tuning in um didn't really get to baseball today i apologize um went over a little bit on college football but i like doing the college football segments i like my poo poo garbage no good game of the week but i want to skip out on that you know in miami you know we had to talk about miami because they did one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in my entire life and it would be bad of me not to talk about that so had to talk about that um we'll talk about baseball next week okay I have prom- pinky promise baseball a little bit more next week how about that uh all right that is going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you very much for tuning in to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Uh, please remember to rate and follow the show wherever you listen to this show. I greatly appreciate that. Um, get us in the old trending section, if you will, and give you old tip of the cap if you're able to do that. I appreciate it very much. Um, if not, uh, I'll see you next week. I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake. <laughs>